Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Like this, and he literally in this poem lays out an eight part blueprint on how to actually achieve and sustain happiness. But again, not, not happiness like, ha, I'm on Prozac and I'm just giddy at the moment. No, 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 no. Like rich, deep joy and contentment and satisfaction in life. And, and what you realize is that Jesus wants you to be happy. But the realization that you and I have come to is this. We don't always know what makes us happy. Because a lot of times we keep pursuing things and we think they'll make us happy, but then we end up unhappy. And we're one of the more unhappy nations on planet Earth. Like they did this test and asked all these questions and did all these metrics. We're not very happy. We're the most advanced civilization in the history of the world. Not very happy though. And it's because we've been pursuing the wrong things. And so when we go back to the ancient wisdom of Jesus, what you determine is, is that the things that actually make you happy, they are absolutely counterintuitive. Like, I would have never, if you just said, Todd, give me eight ideas on what'll make you happy. I'd have been like, okay, well, man, ice cream, uh, is one, uh, Hawaii is two. You know, I just come, I'd, I'd have had a good list, but it's, it's so counterintuitive what Jesus came up with. It's countercultural. It's not what, again, what American cultural and society would, would advise you to do. They would say, well, if you drove that, you'd be happy. If you, if you shopped here, you'd be happy. If you lived in that neighborhood, you'd be happy. And Jesus just doesn't say any of those things. He has, well, he has a poem. Are you ready to check this out? In Matthew chapter 5, it goes like this. Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the poor in spirit. Not poor, because we know poor people who are happy, and we know poor people who are miserable. We know rich people who are happy, and we know rich people who are miserable. So it's not about poor or rich. It's about poor in spirit, or that was a phrase they would have used for humble. Blessed are those who are um, poor in pride and rich in humility, because Oh, we already moved on. Blessed are those who are, who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's just keep going here. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek is, is self-control. Uh, next one is this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hunger and thirst for a lot of things, like I hunger and thirst for lasagna. I hunger and thirst for certain food. But what, what Jesus points to is he uses the metaphor of food, and he actually says, no, no, no. You hunger and thirst for the things of God. Because it is those divine things that actually satisfy your soul. Let's keep going here. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It is just better to be a merciful person. If you ever get around people who lack mercy, they usually are grumpy and cantankerous and kind of mean-spirited. They have fractured friendships and relationships, and they're just kind of miserable people. So I'm just, life is better when you err on the side of mercy. Let's keep going here. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. We talked about this last week, pure in heart, meaning I live a life of integrity. Next one is this. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God, making peace in any relationship that you possibly can. And then here we go. This is the last one. This is where we're going to land on today. And again, this one may be the most counterintuitive of them all. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But let me say that again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has this weird idea that even in persecution, you can find happiness. And I think here's why, and I'll give away the punchline. So guys, if, you're, if, if your wife asks you questions like on the way home, and you zone out during the sermon, you know, it's, just focus right here. Just focus right here. You'll be good. And then if she asked you on the way home, what was the sermon about? You'll know. It's this idea that in life, you're going to have suffering. You're going to have trials. You may even have persecution. You might as well get it for righteousness sake rather than foolishness sake. 
Because when you do, God blesses you. There is some type of legitimate happiness and joy and satisfaction in knowing that I am walking with God. And if that means that I invite persecution into my life, that's okay. God is still going to bless me in this life and in the life to come. Let's pray before we begin. So God, we just pray that, that, Lord, would you speak to us today? Maybe would you encourage us, maybe inspire us, maybe just prepare us today for what might come. And so, Lord, we just pray that you be with us, speak to us, and let us walk out of this place different than the way we walked in, Lord. That is our prayer in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. So there's two reasons that I really w- want to talk about this message. It's, it's a difficult one. It's a challenging one. And it's almost one that doesn't really apply to you that much. Uh, we live in America and in America, we have some incredible religious freedoms. We have some incredible Christian influences. There's a lot of great things, but the reality is, is that you live in a world that does not operate just like America does. As much as we have a current climate that likes to, to kind of, you know, bad mouth America, um, as my buddy who travels the world says, he goes, I don't care what anybody says about this place. This is the greatest place in the world. Why do you think people are trying to beat down our doors to get, it's the greatest place in the world. For all of us, she's not perfect, she's flawed, but trust me, he goes, I, he, this guy literally travels the world. He goes, trust me, you still want to be in America. And so anyway, it's a, it's a great nation. And so we have those religious freedoms, but the rest of the world is not like that. And I want to create some awareness in you because you and I are linked in faith to people around the world. Every time we gather in worship, every time we partake in communion, every time we, we pray and gather, you gotta remember that there are millions and billions of people around the globe who are doing the same thing in the name of Jesus. You are a part, not just of a local church, you are a part of a global family of faith. People who have decided to put their trust and hope in Jesus Christ, but they don't live in America. Because here's what I want to share with you today. This is what the International Society of Human Rights, which is not a Christian organization. This is a regular secular organization. The International Society for Human Rights said this, that 80% of all religious freedom violations in the world today, they are directed against Christians. Normally when we think about persecuted people, we, we again, we pick our groups and we think, oh, they're getting picked on, they're getting picked on, they're getting picked on, they're getting put down, they're getting persecuted, they're getting whatever. The reality is... Is that on the globe, on the world scale, the people who are actually being persecuted the most, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. I didn't say that. They said that. As a matter of fact, here's, here's what we know. If you've grown up in church, you hear sometimes these great stories of Christian martyrs, especially in the first and second and third century. Martyrs who were being thrown into the, uh, in, into the Roman arena and being killed by gladiators and lions. And you have these incredible stories of inspiration and men and women of faith standing up for the gospel. But the reality is this is if you took every Christian martyr, every person who ever died in the name of Jesus, that the 20th century makes up half of it. That means that in the first 19 centuries of Christian existence, X number of people died. The same amount of people died in the 20th century. And we're actually trending up from there. So of all the people that have given their life to Christ, it has happened most recently. It's something just to be kind of in, in, in shock and awe about. It's something we don't think about here. It's not relevant to us. It doesn't hit home for us. We don't see it. We don't feel it. We don't experience it. But here's the reality. This is last year. Last year, 245 million Christians are living in places where there are incredibly high levels of persecution. Now think about that. 245 million. 
Normally when we think about stats, we let it kind of gloss over. Let that soak in. 245 million Christians are living in extreme areas of persecution. 4,305 Christians last year died for their faith. 4,305 brothers and sisters died for the name of Jesus. 1,847 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 3,150 believers were either detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Man, we don't feel that here. We feel blessed. And you ought to. This is not like a beach up sermon. This is like, hey, let's, let, let us do create some awareness. Let us do create some faithfulness. Let us do create some prayerfulness about this situation. There's something called Open Doors International, which does a, a human watch list. And what they do is they rank persecution against Christians. This is the top 10 list of the world watch list. Number one is North Korea, followed by Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, and India. India is like the third most populated country in the world. And they are number 10 on the list of extreme. Now, here's the deal, too. They have these rankings where um, it's it's extreme levels of persecution. Five years ago, the only country that was in an extreme level was North Korea. Now, the top 11 countries on the list are in extreme levels of Christian persecution. Seven out of these nine countries, they're, they're driven by radical Islamic hatred towards Christianity. Last one, China also moved from 43 to 27 on the list. So now you have two of the top three most populated countries in the world inside the top 30 against Christians and against the gospel and against the message of Jesus. And so you need to know that as much as we might be blessed, as much as we might be doing good, the rest of the world is against Christ. And it's sad and people are suffering. Now, now again, there's levels and there's kind of a spectrum of persecution, right? And so uh, these people are living extreme persecution. Mild persecution would be this, like disapproval, a little bit of ridicule, maybe mocking, maybe you weren't included. <laughs> it, it moves to like, no, now there's a pressure to conform. Maybe eventually there's like a loss of opportunity. They found out you're a Christian and they moved on from you and went to somebody else. Just, eventually there's shunning. Uh, we, we see this. I remember having um, young girls come to my youth group when I was a youth pastor, and they would lie to their parents because they knew that their parents forbid them from coming to youth groups. They would lie to their parents so they could come come to church because they just knew that if I if I put my and we hear these stories all the time of families who have to literally choose between being shunned by their family or choosing their faith in Christ. It moves on to loss of employment, loss of property, eventually physical abuse, forced labor, imprisonment, torture, and then eventually murder or execution. So it's a spe- it's a spectrum. And these countries here are in the extreme levels of persecution. And so if you want to find out more, go to Open Doors and and go check out what they're doing. But pray, be a part. And one of the greatest things you can do is be about the gospel right here, right now. Be a part of what your local church is doing right here, right now. Be a part of the kingdom right here, right now, because that's what helps spread the kingdom to all the places. That's what equips and prepares, and that's what that's what gets the message going. And so there is a certain level of awareness that I think we need to have and a prayerfulness. It is incredible. But if you're taking notes, in America, you don't face oppression and violence, but you may face repression and silence. There is something at times in America, and here's what I need to prepare you for too. It's good right now. It might not always be good. Like right now, we have incredible religious freedoms. We might not always have them. And guess what? The world changes quickly now. 
Like what you experience right now, it could change. And you could say, ah, well, it won't change in my lifetime. I don't know. I hope it doesn't. I hope, I hope that's not the case, but I want you to be prepared. But right now you probably don't face, none of us have ever gotten beat up, executed, tortured, any of that, any of that stuff. But we have maybe at times felt like, no, no, I was ridiculed. I was mocked. I was shunned. I was pushed out. I was, you know, again, they, they favored another person over me simply because I was a Christian. Here's what I want to encourage you. Let, let's talk about this. Here's what I want you to remember. Whenever you face any type of persecution, albeit even though it's mild, number one is this, is opposition can make me more like Jesus. Like the reality is, is that Jesus was kind and Jesus was humble and Jesus was doing beer. Jesus was perfect in all of his ways. And yet there were certain people that still hated him. And if they hated him, there's some people going to hate you. You just need to be prepared for it. It doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter how kind you are. You could have done the right thing. Some people are still going to hate you. Listen to this. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Uh, if the world hates you, well, just remember it hated me first. The world would love you as its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of that world. I chose you to come out of the world, and, and so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than his master, and since they persecuted me naturally, they will persecute you as well. And so Jesus, here's one of the things that you need to know, that the disciples never died of a broken heart. Like out of the, out of the 12 disciples, 10 of them gave their life for Christ, but none of them were shocked. None of them were like, felt like there was a bait and switch. None of them were like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus duped me. Because sometimes you get that. The American gospel is sometimes presented as, hey, follow Jesus and everything will be great. Follow Jesus and everything is turning up petunias. And follow Jesus and he'll just bless all of your life. And sometimes that can mislead you because that is not all that Jesus said. Jesus said, no, 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 just so you know, they hated me. They might hate you too. There will be persecution in this life. You need to be prepared for it. And so when those 10 disciples died for the, for the life of Christ that they were living, none of them were shocked. They were all completely prepared. Jesus had been totally honest with them. Listen to this. This is fascinating here. Jesus was called the light of the world. But look at, look at what John three nineteen says, is that God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light. Well, because their actions were evil. Have you ever noticed that like when goodness shines the light on evil, evil doesn't just say, you know what? You're so right about that. Let me change. That's not how evil responds. It, it's, it's the equivalent. Have you ever had like you've been in darkness and then all of a sudden somebody comes into your room and just flips on the light and you're like, oh my gosh. And you give them, you know, the what for. You're like, why? Or if anybody shines, you know, if you've ever had an encounter maybe with law enforcement, they shine the light in your face. You're like, oh my God, what? sometimes when you're living in darkness, sometimes the light is overwhelming. And sometimes when evil is exposed, that evil doesn't take too kindly to that. And so that's what Jesus did is sometimes he was shining the light on evil. Sometimes he was shining the light on religious evil, funny enough. And so they didn't like that. And when he shined the light, they, they kicked back against Jesus. They will kick back against you. So again, if I could just encourage you, you can live like Jesus. You can be like Jesus. You can be kind. You can be humble. They still might hate you. Everybody's all right. Where do I sign up? Yeah, yeah. So number two is this. Opposition can actually strengthen my faith. We know this to be true historically because we see areas where there is incredible persecution and you actually see the church thriving. Like in areas where there's persecution, like their faith is so much, sometimes like, let me, okay, let me just bag on us. Can I bag on us for a minute? Not new beginnings, but like other people, right? In, a, in America, like sometimes it's like, well, I don't, I don't want to go to church. I kind of stayed up late last night. 
Yeah, like, well, well I, I don't, I don't want to read my Bible. I just, I'm kind of bored. I'm going to watch some Netflix. And, and, and we have a weakness, not you guys, other people. You have a weakness to your faith. Like, well, yeah, you know, we have all these excuses. It's a matter we don't engage. And you have other people who are climbing over fences, who are risking their life, who are fighting to get scraps of scripture and their faith is so strong. And we're like, yeah, I don't really feel good. I kind of stayed up late too late last night. I'm not going to go to church. These people would fight tooth and nail to get to church. These people are fighting opposition to get to church. And so, and what you find to be true is this, because if you've ever been to the gym, you know this. I have a friend that just, just started going back to the gym. And when you first start going back to the gym and you do that first workout, what happens? It's painful. You're sore, right? So, so, but the reality is, is that the reason why you're sore is the way that muscles grow is, is that in essence, you punish the muscle, right? And when you punish the muscle, you put stress on it. You put pressure on it. You put weight. You put restraint on it. And then by powering through that, actually what happens is that the muscle begins to break down. But then the muscle recognizes, if it has a little brain up there or whatever, but the muscle recognizes, oh, you want to fight me? You want to break me down? And its resolve is, fine, I'll just get bigger. I'll just get stronger. And that's why when you keep going back to the gym and you keep putting your muscles under strain, what happens to your muscles? They just get bigger and they just get stronger. Well, that's what happens to your faith. You start putting your faith against some real opposition. It just gets bigger. It just gets stronger. Listen to what Peter said. First Peter 1 7 says this. Peter actually talks a lot about suffering and trials and persecution. And this one, he says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So just know whenever you do face any type of opposition in life, it is sometimes the thing that actually grows your faith. And lastly is this, number three is this, it brings eternal rewards. It just does. This is the whole point of the poem because I didn't read the ending of it. But the end of the poem that Jesus read or gave you, it says this. Blessed are you when people insult you. I've never seen that to be like, you know, my experience, though. Oh, thank you. That is wonderful. You know, we don't feel that in the moment, do we? And Jesus is trying to reassure us. When you face persecution, just know I've got your back. When you face persecution, just know I'm watching. When you face persecution, know that there's a blessing coming. Because he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say things uh, evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because that's what I would normally do. Woohoo! Thank you. You just insulted me. I appreciate that. Uh, my bank account in heaven's going up right now. I can feel it. Um, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus has this idea of reassurance. Like, I want you to know, even when you feel like people are against you or attacking you or persecuting you or whatever it is, just know I'm watching. I'm with you. I got your back. I will bless you. So in light of that, here's what I want you to do. Because in this life, you are, and you do live in California, which is different than living like in the Bible Belt, right? Like there are certain areas of the country where being a Christian actually might favor you. In California, sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes you can have people that have a certain perception of Christians, or maybe they come from a different worldview or a different religion, and you're not. And you're going to face some level of persecution or opposition. Here's what I want you to do when it happens. Number one is this. Number one, this is what you do. Don't be surprised. We already talked about this. None of the disciples ever died of a broken heart. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says it so plainly. First Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be what? Surprised. Yeah, I just stole that straight from Peter, didn't I? It's not even original. 
Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something's strange. You, you would never be like, wait a minute. I can't believe it. They don't like me because I'm a Christ follower. That is ridiculous. Nope. It's not a strange thing. If they hated Jesus, they might very well hate you. It is eventually going to happen. Do not be surprised. Number two is this. Don't be afraid. There's no point in being afraid. Oh my gosh, there's this incredible quote. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a famous bishop. Eusebius is his name. He has a really weird name because old people have weird names. He was the bishop of, of Caesarea. But this is what he said when he was threatened with torture. So they told him, we're going to confiscate all your goods. We're going to put you in jail. We're going to torture you. We might even kill you. And this was his response. He needs not fear confiscation who has nothing to lose, nor banishment to whom heaven is his country, nor torments when his body can be destroyed at one blow, nor death, which is the only way to set him at liberty from sin and sorrow. Now that's some perspective. You can't take something from me. This is, I think, what Paul was ultimately saying when he said this. He goes, look, because Nero threatened, Nero was the emperor of Rome, and he threatened to kill Paul. And I think Paul was like, well, that's fine, but like, I'm already dead. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who now lives in me. Does that make sense? Like, you can't, you can't kill a dead man. You can't take stuff from somebody who's already given it all away. You, you can't, you can't threaten to take my home when heaven is my home. And you can't threaten me with death when death just gets me closer to Jesus. And so, anyway, you, you don't got anything to be afraid of. God is with you. Number three is this, don't be ashamed. When the moment comes, don't be ashamed. It is worth it to stand for Jesus. First Peter 4.16 says this. It is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. As a matter of fact, there's this great insert from the book of martyrs, which is literally a collection of people who died for Christian faith. He was uh, in this insert from the book of martyrs. It was talking about the Christians who died in the uh, arenas of Rome. And they said that that sometimes it was just children. Sometimes they were only 12 years old. All they had to do was take a single sip of wine to acknowledge to the assembled crowd that the watching emperor was a god and the rightful ruler of the world. Around them were the crosses of the stakes on which many of their parents and relatives would die that day. Some whose heads were dipped in pitch and set on fire as grisly torches to light the arenas for the games. A single sip and they need not face the wild animals that had been starved and goaded and tortured in preparation to face these helpless Christians in the arena. Yes, they were afraid. They sometimes wept and they all prayed, but they wouldn't deny Christ. One said, these lions are not our enemies, but our friends. They will usher us into the arms of Jesus. You have no reason to fear. God is with you. And this death, again, is not the finality. It is simply getting you closer and closer to Jesus. You have nothing to be afraid. This is a huge one. Number four is this. Number four is recognize the source. Like something that you need to be really, really mindful of as a Christ follower is, is that, well, let me read the scripture because Paul says it really clear. Ephesians six says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against, everybody say not against, 
It's not against flesh and blood. Like it's not against people. So the people that are persecuting you, the people that are shunning you, ridiculing you, opposing you, that's not your problem. Paul is like, be very aware that there is a spiritual battle taking place in some unseen realm. And I don't know that any of us can fully understand or quantify that, but there's something else going on here. And so your wrestle is not with these people. He goes, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's actually against rulers and authorities and against powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Sometimes that is the greatest thing that you can do is just recognize, okay, I get it that this is a person, but I recognize that my fight is not against, and there's a spiritual battle taking place. There's spiritual evil taking place in them and through them, and it's not them, and let me not. And so in light of that, number five is this, let me make sure I refuse to retaliate. I refuse to to retaliate. When anybody persecutes, let's be honest, when anybody opposes you, when anybody prevents you from succeeding in life, when anybody puts you down for your faith, sometimes there, some of us have a, a kind of a fighter gene inside of us and we like arguing, we like debating, we like fighting, we like whatever. I think you need to be careful with that. You need to refuse to retaliate. That is the way of Jesus. You got to remember Jesus was mocked, was insulted, was lied about. He was thrown before a mock trial. You got, you got to remember Jesus refused to retaliate. As a matter of fact, this is what Paul says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Do not take revenge. Okay, somebody might need to write that down. If you're one of those like, you know, vengeance people, that might be your verse of the day. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So anytime you face opposition, just know that God's got your back, that God wants to bless you, that God's going to see you through it, that there is reward in this life and in the life to come. You need to be incredibly careful that you don't just decide to take vengeance. And then lastly is this, here's the most challenging part. Not only do you refuse to retaliate, but number six is this, you respond with a blessing. There was a a story that my friend told me about. He had talked to a, a missionary who had been imprisoned, he and his wife had been imprisoned and tortured. Do you remember Shane telling us this story? There was a story that he told us about the missionaries. And he said that it, was, it, it made a profound impact on his life because as he told the story, he goes, well, how did you get through this? I mean, these people are torturing you and, and your wife like on a daily basis. And he said, I just felt like the strength of God came over me because what happened was is at the end of every session in which they would interrogate or torture us or do whatever, I would always look at the person that tortured me and, and, and I would look at them and say, hey, I want you to know I love you and I bless you. When you go to sleep tonight, just know that there's nothing between you and I. I bless you. You torture my wife. I'm getting jacked out of shape. Like I'm going to go first blood on you. I'm going to go Stallone on you. I'm going to do it. It is... I don't know if I'll be able to handle it. And this, these people give you these inspiration. You know what I mean? In the moment, I hope that I can be like him. But every, every, at the end of every session, at the end of every day when they torture him, they said, hey, I want you to know I love you and I bless you. And I want you to know that when you go to sleep tonight, there's nothing between us. I forgive you. And this happened day after day after day. But as the story continues, because he goes, well, yeah, hearts begin to like soften. As a matter of fact, some of the jailers, uh, we would become friends. Uh, as a matter of fact, they stopped torturing us but sometimes they would have to like they'd have to come into the room and like beat against the wall and yell and scream and we'd have to yell and scream and kind of put on a show to make sure that his boss knew he was in there giving us a beating 
He goes, but at the end of every day, I said, I love you and I bless you. And I want you to know I forgive you. There's nothing between us tonight. Over and over and over and over. And there's something about that. Listen to what Jesus says. Luke chapter 6 verse 27 says this. But to you who are listening, I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn and give them the other also. If they take your coat, well, just give them your shirt as well. The way of Jesus is radical. Like walking with Jesus, walking in the dust of the rabbi, walking after Jesus, trying to live like he lived is a life where he said, you know what? Not only do I refuse to retaliate, let me give, let me bless. And here's where I think Christianity begins to thrive in persecution. Because when you are persecuted and you respond with incredible grace, with incredible love, with incredible generosity, that is what breaks the hearts of people. That's what opens them up to look at it and say, why in the world? How in the world? How could you? But to continually be blessed and loved, even in spite of the persecution that they're dishing at, it has the power to change the world. And Jesus said, if you do, now we live in America. We are probably not in the extreme levels. We're down there on the mild end where we might find some mild opposition every once in a while. But even still, I want you to respond like Christ. And if you do, You somehow discover, this is what Jesus said, you discover a deep sense of joy and contentment and peace. That even in the moment of pain, you will still eventually find long and lasting happiness. Somebody say amen to that. So let's put a bow on this thing. Because Jesus gave a eight-piece poem, a blueprint on how to find happiness. And I think it would look a little bit like this. I'll be happy if... I daily and humbly depend on God. Somebody needs to take a screen grab of that. Somebody needs to like, you know, just keep it on your phone. And every few days when you scroll through your pictures, do you guys do that? Do you scroll through your pictures every once in a while? You just get on there like, oh, let me just scroll through and take a look. Come back to this one. And when you do, I want you to remember where happiness actually comes from. Happiness begins when I start every day by humbly and depending on God. When I walk up, when I wake up every morning, I say, you know what, God, as I get into this day, I want you to know I completely depend on you. I need your wisdom. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your guidance. God, I need your presence in my life. God, I humbly depend on you. Here's, again, so counterintuitive. You are going to experience loss in this life. You'll be happy if you learn how to take that loss to God. And let God comfort you. If you'll learn how to grieve and mourn. I I will be happy if I learn to live in self-control. Can I get an amen to that? Like your life will just be better and more blessed if you have self-control. You Nobody will call the cops, right? You won't end up in jail overnight. You won't have a bunch of, you won't have a bunch of broken relationships. You won't, you, self-control will actually create more happiness in your life. You'll be happy if you hunger for the divine. Some of us fill ourselves constantly with the things of this world, the things of this culture. We, I mean, again, it's not all evil. It's not all bad, but man, we're on the drip. We're on the, we're on the social media drip. Every, because you'll know this. Every time you're sitting still and all of a sudden you have a moment, you have this instinct just to pull your phone out and to go to something. And so all of a sudden you're on the, you're on the drip. You need the fix. And all of a sudden you realize like, well, I don't read my Bible anymore. I don't pray anymore. I don't worship anymore. Like the, the, the things of God don't even taste that good to me anymore. It's because, well, we've been hungering and thirsting over the things of this world, but actually we would be happy if we would soak in hunger to long for, to thirst the things of the divine. You know what? Again, if you treat others with mercy, I'm telling you this world is lacking in mercy. 
But if you as a Christ follower would just step into it and say, hey, in every way that I can, let me be merciful with people. Let me treat people with the utmost of grace and kindness and patience. Let me be merciful. Let me live a life of integrity. If you have not been here over the course of this series, please go back and watch these messages. This is the type of series that if all you had and you were on a, you were on a, trapped on an island and couldn't get another sermon for the rest of your life and you couldn't get another portion of scripture for the rest of your life and you couldn't get anything else, you could live off of this incredible poem for the rest of your life. You could pursue these eight things for the rest of your life and you'd be just fine. Learning to live a life of integrity. I pursue peace in all my relationships. And lastly, I trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Even when I face opposition or persecution, I will continue to trust God. And this was Jesus' blueprint. So if you're out here today and you thought, man, I want to be happy in life. And that's all of you, by the way. If you ever thought, man, I really want, if you've ever questioned and said, why can't I really find lasting happiness? Like, why do I seem so discontent with life? Why do I seem to not have joy in life? It's probably because we've been pursuing the wrong things. We've been chasing a rainbow and realized there's no pot of gold. We were climbing a ladder and it was leaning against the wrong fence. We, we were pursuing all the wrong things. We were looking for love in all the wrong places. And we didn't realize that Jesus had given this incredibly counterintuitive and countercultural, but yet brilliant and divine blueprint for happiness. Jesus wants you happy. Not in the way that you might define happiness, but something profound, something deep, something lasting. And if you would walk with him, you would discover it. Would you bow your heads with me today? Holy Spirit, would you do your thing? Every one of us has our own kind of experience in life. We have our own family dynamic, our own financial situation. We've got our own walk with you, even God. But God, there's a reason why some of us aren't happiness. Holy Spirit, would you dive in right there? God, would you speak to? God, would you guide us through? Because I, I think when we look at this list, we would say, oh, I, I got a few of those down. I'm doing pretty good a few of those. But there's a few of those where we've, we've kind of missed it. And we've lost our peace. We've lost our joy. We've lost our happiness. So Holy Spirit, would you guide us through that? God, would you somehow cement these ideas into our heart? God, convince us of these things so that we might walk in your presence and in doing so, walk with joy and happiness. Lord, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Come on, can you give me a good gospel? Amen. Yeah. Can you give Lord a big hand? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.